Hopefully you've got a handout tonight. We will uh, be working our way through that. So you'll need a handout to get the most out of the message, I think, tonight. It'll help you when you go home to, to have some reminders. Throughout the week, we've been in this series when people are big and God is small. Then two key thoughts in our series that we've discovered and we keep going back to, and I'll go back to them again tonight. Thought number one, we fear man more than we fear God because we don't fear God or we don't fear God enough. That, that's, the, that's the first thought. Put those up there, Brother Dustin, can you please? I think that's the next. Thank you, sir. Thought number two, God must be bigger to you than people are. Our people will control your life. I, I think it's David and I's heart that you really get a hold of these two thoughts. More than anything, everything's important, but these are foundational to understanding how to overcome the fear of man with the fear of the Lord. Our key verse for the series is Proverbs 29, 25. I want us to read it out loud together to be on the screen. Ready? Read. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. So far, we've talked about the fear of exposure. We talked about the fear of harm. We talked about the fear of being ignored. And if you missed any of those messages, I would challenge you really uh, go back on either our church's YouTube page and watch those or go to our podcast um, and listen to those. I think they'd be a help to you. Tonight, we're going to focus on another fear, and that's this, the fear of rejection. The fear of rejection. At first... The fear of rejection might sound really similar to the fear of being ignored. But, but there is a difference. When we fear being ignored, we struggle with being forgotten. When we fear rejection, here's the difference. The worry is that we will be remembered, but not accepted. So they sound the same, but they really aren't. The fear of being ignored, which, which David so masterfully taught us last week, makes us think uh, that we don't get enough attention, right? But the fear of rejection is different in that it makes us think we get negative attention. Tonight, here's what we'll study. We'll study what this fear is by definition. We'll study where it shows up in scripture. We'll study what it looks like in our life and we'll study how we can overcome it with the help of God. So let's study tonight. Number one, what is the fear of rejection? We are trapped in the fear of rejection when acceptance from others makes us feel worthy. And when condemnation from others makes us feel worthless. I want you to notice this is a double-sided fear. That there's two elements to this definition. So, so, so you're trapped in the fear of rejection. Watch. When acceptance from others makes us feel worthy. Do you get that? But on the other side of the coin is this, when condemnation from others makes us feel worthless. So I, I think that there's probably very few, if any, uh, Christians in here tonight that don't struggle with one of those sides of this fear. We, we fear the rejection of who we are when it comes to our personality. When it comes to our education, when it comes to our job title, when it comes to our socioeconomic uh, position, when it comes to our gender or our race or our experiences or our relationships or our family background. 
So that means that in the fear of rejection, we'll often change our personalities because we think people will like us better if we act a certain way or, 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 or if we come across a certain way, even if that's inauthentic to who we really are. Some may, may in the fear of rejection seek after a certain degree or certain job title within their organization or company so they can be looked upon with more favor. Others may fear discrimination because of their race or gender or fear being rejected by certain people because of other friends they've chosen. And again, church, it's, it's important to know that this fear has two sides. And they look radically different. This is foundation, foundational to understanding the fear of rejection. One side of, of this fear of man is the inflated feeling of worthiness. B because other people like you, because you are in their circle, because they accept you. Well, you can live with yourself. You can feel good about yourself, but you don't realize that you're in a soul-sucking trap. You're dependent on others for your feeling of worthiness. The other side feels entirely different. You have the deflated feeling of worthlessness. You think of yourself as a nobody. You don't matter to the world. Why? Well, because you've been put out on the outside. You, you've been left behind. You've been rejected. You've been turned down. See, these two kinds of people, the one who says, I'm nobody... And the other who says, I'm somebody, they may seem like they have nothing in common, but they share the same exact fear. See, the fear of rejection is like the same cancer with two different markers. You get it? Um, do you get it? Okay, all right, good, good. So again, we are trapped in the fear of rejection when acceptance from others makes us feel worthy, but then the condemnation from others makes us feel worthless. Question number two. Where does this fear show up in Scripture? Well, we'll start with an Old Testament character, King Saul. In, in 1 Samuel 15, Saul was commanded by God to destroy the Amalekites, utterly destroy them, leaving nothing left. But what did Saul do? He only partially obeyed. He spared the king, whose name was Agag, and he spared the best of the livestock. When the prophet Samuel confronted Saul about it, he confessed his sin, but he justified it in 1 Samuel 15, verse 24, which says this, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Saul no doubt felt pressure by his, his generals to bring home some of the spoils of the war. But listen, that's no excuse to sin. Given how clear God was with the command and Saul's decision led out of the fear of being rejected had catastrophic results. It was the reason he lost his kingdom. We go to the New Testament, we see a group of religious people called the Pharisees. Many of the Pharisees became Jesus's enemies. They they in part orchestrated his death. Yet there were some leaders who couldn't ignore Jesus's authoritative teaching and his miracles, and they quietly believed in him. Did you know that? We like to think of all the Pharisees as just lost and going to hell. That's not, wasn't the case in all of the New Testament. So, so they at some point believed that Jesus was sent from God, that he was the Messiah for whom they, they had hoped and, and prayed for, for so long. So you would think with such a conviction, these leaders would become disciples immediately. They would seek to persuade their peers, their pharisaical peers to believe in what they believed in. Yet it didn't happen. 
We find that their faith quickly withered. Why? Well, they feared confessing their faith because of the possible reactions of those in their synagogue. That's what John 12 tells us. It says, nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's the fear of rejection. That, that, that's, being, that's being fearful that they're going to be kicked out of their tribe. Lose standing in their religious crowd. And they, they feared that more than they feared the Lord. Then you've got Peter. We've been talking about the disciple, the apostle Peter for quite some time in our Mark series on Sunday mornings. In fact, we contrasted, did we not, a couple of weeks ago, Jesus' faithfulness in his trial to Peter's unfaithfulness in his. We saw that Peter went into self-preservation mode and Jesus went into self-denial mode. And I think that it's possible that, that part of the reason Peter acted out of self-preservation was the fear of rejection. And you would think that after going through all that he did, you know, when, 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 when the rooster was crowing and Jesus looked at him straight in the eye and he began to weep and he felt remorse and, and shame and regret. And then Jesus came to him at the end of the book of John and, and, and took him back in to the fold and used him again for great things at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Man, you would think Peter learned his lesson. Don't fear being rejected by men. But the fear of rejection has deep roots. Because it showed up again later in Peter's life. If you study the book of Acts... Peter received a vision from the Lord telling him, thank God, that the gospel wasn't just for the Jews. It was also for the Gentiles. You better say amen to that because that's why you're saved. However, when Christian Jews continued to believe that circumcision was a big part of the gospel, they came to Peter, applied some pressure on him, and then he separated himself from his Gentile brothers and sisters, even though God had spoken to him in a vision. He treated them according to the Jewish custom rather than the Lord's command. Why? He feared the group that held so tightly to circumcision. He didn't want to lose their, their favor, their, their good standing. He didn't want to lose their approval. And as a consequence, because there's always a consequence when we fear rejection. Other Jews, including Barnabas, were being led in the same error. And it was such a problem, study Galatians 2, that the Apostle Paul had to have a face-to-face -face confrontation with Peter. Put him straight. And at the, at, the, at the bed of all that, the foundation of all of that was that Peter feared rejection. There are some ways that, that it shows up in Scripture. I want to get practical now. What are the ways that the fear of rejection shows up in our lives? Nine ways. Number one, we fish for compliments. Put up there, Brother Dustin. If we love receiving praise from others, then we can be tempted to appear humble rather than being truly humble. You know we can fake humility, right? In fact, Christians are some of the best at doing it. We put ourselves down so others will correct us and tell us, oh, you're not that bad. We bring up subjects in conversation that will lead others to praise us. We ask for assessments or critique or feedback, not because we want to grow and be challenged, but because we want to be patted on the back. We forget what Solomon said in Proverbs 25, for men to search their own glory is not glory. It shows up in this way, perfectionism. I must admit I struggle with this one. 
This is another manifestation of the fear of rejection because you feel like you need to be the very best at everything you do. You may tell yourself, you may even tell others that, that this drive is for the Lord. Isn't it all the epistles that say whatever you do, do it with all your heart and soul and mind. And so you may slap that verse at somebody that accuses you of being a perfectionist. Subtly telling them to get on your level. Maybe your fear of rejection from others drives you to impress them with never messing up. Should you make a mistake, you'll lose their approval and you really fear that. Now, I said I struggle with this because I do. The Lord has given me grace to, to improve in this the last several years. But, but the thing that keeps popping into my mind is, is my early years of leading our patriotic program called Liberty. And I'm telling you, I, I invited way too much stress on myself during, during those programs because I was not going to allow one thing to go wrong. I don't care if I'm working with human beings. Right? And I, I had that mindset and I would always justify my attitude. I would always justify uh, my, my, my nitpickiness, all these things I would justify. And I'm not talking about there is a difference between excellence and perfectionism. I want to make it clear. Our church will always try to do things as good as we can. All right. We'll never apologize for for extra effort and attention to detail. We, that's a core value of our staff. Pursue excellence because God deserves our best. But, but excellence is just trying your best. Perfectionism is never messing up. Well, it's impossible to achieve perfectionism, but it within, in your mind, you are trying to because you fear being rejected. You fear failure. You fear what it might look like if you look unprepared. Then that's going to drive you to treat others bad. That's going to drive you to expect perfection in your kids. See, see, see if, if, if you were a perfectionist when you did your math, but for some reason, little Johnny ain't a perfectionist, forgive my English, that's going to eat your lunch. And there are going to be things that come out of your mouth as a result of you expecting them to be just like you. I'm not talking about a lack of effort on their part. I'm talking about they give their very best, but it's not like you would do it. And as a parent, you are going to be overdriving them in some areas of their life if you desire perfectionism in them. Isn't it crazy, parents, that sometimes, sometimes we fear our kid being rejected. And so if they aren't as good in sports as we want them to be, we fear them being coming off the bench or something. Are not getting playoff time. So we go to the practices and when they screw up in practices, the whole ride home, we are preaching a basketball sermon to them. Guilty as charged. Number three, externalism. We become externalist when all our attention and energy is devoted to shaping how we're perceived and little is given to shape who we really are. Catch this, please. We are all about the external while neglecting the internal. You do that long enough, it'll catch up with you. Your character will eventually come out. You will be squeezed to the point where what's on the inside must be revealed. It, it may show up in spending an inordinate amount of money to have the latest fashions or the newest vehicle or the most expensive home decor. It, it, it could be an infatuation with our bodies or, or our weight. 
It could be the way you use social media. You're so afraid of people rejecting you that, that you prop up an image of yourself that it, you know is just not true to who you really are. Christians, we need to stop that. We need to stop that. Here, here's number four, peer pressure. I'm glad the teenagers in here, but everybody experiences peer pressure. See, one of the most common ways that the fear of rejection manifests itself in our lives is, is, is by caving to other people. Going along with the crowd. And by the way, the crowd doesn't have to be large. It can be a crowd of one person. When what one or many people thinks is cool or, or, or is necessary begins to pressure us and, and that desire to be accepted by them dominates our thinking, guess what's going to happen? We will compromise who we are to fit in. How do I know? I see it all the time. I see it in young people. I see it in myself. And I see it in you. Drinking alcohol with friends. There's adults that because their buddies at work have a glass of alcohol over the lunch break, they, they can't handle being the only one that doesn't drink a glass of alcohol. By the way, I am perfectly comfortable as a pastor, not, not self-righteously or anything. I'm perfectly comfortable saying that the best choice for you to, is abstinence from alcohol. I'm perfectly comfortable saying that, that, that you can't go wrong that way. You can't go wrong that way. I, 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 I can understand why there would be some, some, some arguments in Scripture about can we drink moderately or, or, or can, can, can we, we know we can't get drunk, but can we drink socially or moderately if we're responsible? And, and we can sit down and we can talk about that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not talking about that argument. I'm talking about the principle of what might help us fulfill the fruits of the Spirit the most. Walk in the Spirit, not the flesh. I'm just telling you, you stay totally absent from alcohol, friend. And there will be more fruits of the spirit coming out of your life. You give yourself the best chance, the best chance to be good salt and good light to a lost world. But I have known Christians, even in our own church, that socially drink primarily because of pressure. Pressure. Parents let, let their teenagers go to places they feel uncomfortable about. In their spirit, they feel uncomfortable, but they're going to let them go because they fear them or their child being rejected. I think there are Christians that, that miss opportunities to serve at church because they don't want their friends to think they're too radical or overcommitted. I, mean, I don't want to be like one of them. We, we, we let our children, because of pressure, I know this for a fact, in my life, I felt this pressure. We, we let them miss church for sports and other lesser things. All because of pressure being placed on us by those around us. Are you with me? We don't outgrow this. We don't outgrow this. Number five, there's name dropping. This may be one we don't think of very often. When our fear of rejection leads us to, to drop names, you know what? We demonstrate our insecurity by having trouble admitting that we don't know someone. Or haven't met them. What, why do we do that? Well, listen, if we're consumed by earning acceptance from others and we think that knowing the most people or knowing the best people or knowing the coolest people will lead us to be accepted, guess what we're going to do? We're going to exaggerate our friendships. We're going to exaggerate our connections and we're going to exaggerate our contacts. 
Name dropping is one of the most dehumanizing forms, I think, of fearing rejection. When we drop names of people, here's what we're doing. We're treating them like pawns in a game to get attention for ourselves. People are nothing more than objects to us. Number six, failing to evangelize. One of the most basic ways we fear rejection is fearing that people reject the good news of Jesus. This, this in turn leads us to pass up opportunities. This ought to be convicting to all of us. We pass up opportunities to give the gospel to others. We, we don't want friendships to turn south. We don't want people to be turned off to Jesus or our church. This is destructive to healthy relationships. Listen, people that know you need more than anything to find acceptance with God through Jesus. You are refusing, when you are refusing to show them the way. Let me say this, but you are refusing to show them the way, I should say. Because their acceptance of you has become more important than God's acceptance of them. When their acceptance of you has become more important than God's acceptance of them, you will refuse to show them the way to God. Number seven, passivity in the home. A dad who is too worried that his kids will reject him refuses to lead his family spiritually. Teenagers, since you're in here, this isn't in the notes, but sometimes I just want to get pastoral for a moment. If you have a parent or parents that, that don't lead you with biblical courage, okay, they let you get away with whatever. There's no structure for your life, very little expectation. When you break the expectation, there's no consequence. Please, give me your eyeballs. That's not a good thing. But then you have another parent that actually has biblical courage has rules, has expectations, but all of a sudden they're the bad guy. Hear me, that's not okay. It's not okay. We don't, we don't need, it. every one of, of your parents probably, there's, 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 there's one of them that favors grace and one of them that favors truth. You with me? Don't be a master manipulator in pitting the two against each other. Right? Don't, don't do that to, to your favor. I, that had doesn't have a lot to do with fear of rejection at all, but it's still good, still true. So I, I talk about a dad who's too worried that his kids will reject him and he refuses to lead his family spiritually so he won't lead in family devotions. He won't keep the rules he used to keep. He won't point out things that worry him about his kids. He's just not confrontational. Won't overcome that. There's a wife who is too worried about how her husband will react. She, she won't be vulnerable about the ongoing sin that she perceives to be at work in her husband's soul. She wants to control how, how he thinks about her. And so she doesn't want him to think that she's nagging or ultra picky. Fear of rejection. There's overextending. When we say yes to anything and everything, we take too much responsibility on ourselves. So much that, that it will, in fact, start to hurt other areas of our life that are more important. Why does some of us in here find it so easy to say yes and so hard to say no? Because we fear rejection. Watch here. If we find our identity in being helpful, we find our identity in being reliable, 
We find our identity in being available. We don't want to say no. Even if it hurts our work in other areas, we're so afraid of being rejected that we take on more than we can handle. A man by the name of John Coe has said that, listen closely, when you have too much on your plate, then you have let someone besides the Lord decide what goes on it. Did you get that? When you have too much on your plate, you've let someone other than the Lord decide what goes on it. Number nine, slander and flattery. This is the last one. They seem to be polar opposites, but they show up equally in the fear of rejection. When our greatest fear is being on the outside of a circle or or failing to be accepted, we may react in turn by refusing to accept others, by trying to hurt their reputation. So the sinful logic in our mind goes like this. If I will be rejected, so will they. If I'm not going to fit in, then they won't either. Flattery comes from the same fear. if, If I live in the trap of fearing others' rejection, here's what I'll do. I'll say nice things about them that I don't even believe. In hopes that they'll like me. Yeah. Are you seeing any of the fear of rejection in yourself tonight? I know I am. If you're anything like me, you probably have to plead guilty to this fear. But that's okay because the Bible has answers for how to deal with it. That's why I love these outlines every week because it always ends with how do we, how do we get through this? How do we overcome this? And we know it always has something to do with the fear of the Lord, don't we? We get that by now. But how does the fear of the Lord help us here? How to overcome the fear of rejection? Two ways, very simple. Remember, no one faced rejection like Jesus faced rejection. See, the cure to both all this is going to be to take a good look at Jesus for a second. Isaiah 53, verse 3. We're going to talk about this a lot on Sunday morning. I'm looking forward to the message. Put it up there. Yeah, he is despised and rejected of me. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. See, this begins, when we look at that, it begins to put our fear of rejection in perspective. When you think of Jesus, right? The innocent one experienced the most severe and unrighteous form of rejection. Because he wasn't only rejected of man in this life, even though he was sinless. He was rejected by his father. At the most crucial time of his life, as he took our sins in our place, we should understand, church, that, that because of this rejection that Jesus endured for us, any rejection that we're called to face in this life will be temporary. Just as the, the, the approval we so desperately seek to attain is fleeting, it's here, then it's gone. So any rejection we face will fade away. Number two, remember Jesus' rejection brought you acceptance with God. Jesus wasn't rejected, Isaiah 53. He wasn't rejected and despised for no reason. He had a purpose. He's rejected by man and by God so that we would not have to be rejected by God and so that we would no longer be enslaved to fearing being rejected by those created by God. You see, his rejection, watch, is our acceptance. We've read this verse multiple times in this series. I'll read it again because it's just so helpful to face the fear of man and fight it off. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the gospel. For he hath made him to be sin for us 
who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Somebody say amen. What a beautiful verse. You want to pick one to memorize? Memorize that one. Jesus stood in our place. Why? So that we could be accepted by God. That we could be loved by God. God cannot dwell with sinners. God cannot look upon sin. We fall so short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. May the beauty of the gospel never fade in your mind. For if and when it does, you will start looking to people for your approval, their approval, instead of living out of the approval God gives you. So we need to focus on the Lord Jesus. But hear me, it's not like a one-time decision. So reading those verses and me declaring that with a bit of passion tonight might emotionally say, oh man, that's good, I like that. I love that, that's good. But what about tomorrow morning? What about, what, what about this coming weekend? J.I. Packer helps us with this. He says we should always be in reminding mode. I like that. Reminding mode when it comes to this. I want to quote him. This is awesome. Do I as a Christian understand myself? Do I know my own real identity? My own real destiny? I'm a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day near. I like this. My savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too. Say it over and over to yourself first thing in the morning, last thing at night, as you wait for the bus, any time when your mind is free and ask that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it is all utterly and completely true. Oh, let that sink in. Let that sink in deep. You are a child of God. A child of God. How many have a child? Raise your hand, you have a child. Right. If you're parenting right, if you love them like you're supposed to, you will always accept them. You don't have to accept their sin. You will accept them. You will always accept them. You always love them like the father loved his prodigal son. You will always accept them. Friend, you are a child of God. He never slips up in his parenting. He never gets selfish in his parenting. He never loses patience in his parenting, which means this. You are always accepted by your father. Always. Always. You'll find the prayer of recollection in your handout. It's to remind ourselves of who we are in Jesus on a daily basis. If you struggle with the fear of rejection, pray something like this. God, whatever I do today, I want to do in you. I don't want to do it alone. I, I don't want to find my identity in anything but Christ. Hear me, Christian. Your, your greatest problem tonight is not that you need to be accepted by others. It's not your greatest problem. You were created to need acceptance from God, your maker. And here's the great thing. That's already yours in Jesus. You are accepted in the beloved. So live accordingly. Live like you are. Who are you? A child of God. Adopted. Chosen. Forgiven. Redeemed. 
sanctified, justified, washed, cleansed, sealed, secured. Who are you? A child of God. Live like it. If you had a name on the back of your jersey, it would say child of the king. When you're wearing his name on the back of your jersey, well, live like you're his kid. Live like he loves you. Because he does. Christian, quit searching. Quit searching. Teenagers, quit searching for acceptance in your friends. Quit craving to be popular. Quit craving to be liked. Quit craving to be the center of attention. Quit craving to be the leading scorer. Quit craving to get the most scholarships. Crave the love and acceptance of God, which is yours in Jesus if you're saved. Teenagers, I say that with passion because the majority of the mistakes that you'll be tempted to make in your teenage years will come because you don't want to be rejected. So live. Live in light of 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus went on the cross, died for you so that God could welcome you into a relationship with him. You are holy in God's eyes, Ephesians 1. So live like it. Live like it. You agree with that? Say amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's have a time of prayer.